following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, excited to keep continuing our Hebrews 11 series, our By Faith series. And, you know, we're well protected here tonight. Normally, each week we have a, a solid, godly Marine here with us. And tonight we've doubled up for you. Um, and actually, Zach Abrams is here visiting from Afghanistan where he's currently serving. And would you mind standing where we can just honor you? Thanks. It's good to see you, Zach. Welcome. Um, thanks for all that you do for serving us. Appreciate that. Um, well, great. Well, let's go into uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and, and read our portion of Scripture for tonight. Tonight we have a lot to cover. We're going to part the Red Sea and we're going to destroy a city. All within a half hour. Let's go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we enter into this uh, story, these two stories of impossible situations, seemingly improbable, uh, would you guide our hearts and teach us something new about who you are, how we can trust in you and, and find comfort in you? So many of us have different obstacles and trials that we face every day, whether it's at home, at work, overseas, wherever it might be. Um, there are temptations at every corner, and we need your help. Help us to see these stories as, as ones of victory and triumph, and that we could um, also have victory uh, in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, these stories really require a, a double take. And what I mean by that is you hear these stories, and it makes you say, wait, I'm sorry, tell me that again. Um, what happened? Uh, and imagine the firsthand description of, of these stories as someone comes back to you and says, you're never going to guess what just happened. <laughs> okay, so we, we came to a sea, right? And, and, and then the sea opened up and we walked through it on dry land. And, and then we lived. And then it closed up and killed all of our enemies. Uh, this kind of a double-take story. And, and likewise with the, the Jericho, the city of Jericho, so we walked around this city seven times, and on the seventh day, we yelled really loud, and the walls collapsed on the city, and everybody was destroyed, and we were able to pass through. I mean, these stories are, are bizarre. They're incredible. Uh, and so I don't want to just look at these at, at face value. It's like, yeah, these, this, these things happen every day, normal stuff. But they're remarkable. They're magnificent. Uh, they are impossible. And they give us an example of what I hoped we would encounter in our series as we've gone through Hebrews 11. Now here we are, the ninth week, and, and next week is our final week where we're going to look at the story of Rahab in the city of Jericho, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up next week. I'm really excited about it, but now I look back on this whole series, and, and I see here, this is why we've come to this place, and this is, I, I was hoping that we would encounter something like this, because faith is not monotone, it's not simple, it's not easy, it's not basic, it's multifaceted. We have ten stories of what it means to live by faith. And if you were to come to me and say, what does it mean for me to live by faith? And I might say, well, for, for Abel, this is what it looked like to live by faith. For Abraham, this is what it looked like for him to live by faith. For Sarah, for Noah, for Moses, this is what it looked like for them to live by faith. And, and what it might look like for you to live by faith could be very different than what it would look like specifically for me or somebody else. The situations are different. The circumstances are different. And, and I see this story is great for us because if we were to skip it, we would have an incomplete picture 
of what it looks like to live by faith. Because there are sometimes when God asks us to, to move or to act or to obey in specific instances, where he's asking you to obey a, a, a big, a big uh, decision. Like, what does it mean for me to, to live by faith in this big decision? And then you can maybe go to God's word or get counsel from friends and, and, and spend time in prayer, and then you know how to proceed in that given situation. Well, what if this is sin that you're battling with? And you say, God, there's a sin, and I don't really know how to walk by faith to be obedient to you, and you can go to the scripture, and you can find um, honest, to-the-point direction on how to live. But what do you do when all that God is asking you to do is just keep doing what you're doing? Just keep Keep going on that journey, keep walking by faith, keep following me. I mean, maybe it's not this huge, life-changing, big decision that God's asking you to do, right? And many of us may find ourselves in that situation. So it's like, God, I I feel like I I walk by faith and I trust in you, but what do I do in those long spans of time where nothing seems to be happening? And all he's asking you to do is to face your daily struggles, to endure through them, to trust in him, to have faith. And I see these stories as great examples for how to address us in situations just like that. In the midst of following God and trusting Him by faith and, and trying to find out what is the way that He would want us to live, well, there's a lot of doubts that come along the way, isn't there? There's a lot of questions you might have. There's a lot of situations where you're like, is He as, is he as, as, is he as pursuing me as much as He was a long time ago when I felt Him really close? Is He as near as He used to be? Is he as faithful as I once thought he was? There's no question that these people in the story are probably asking questions like that and probably having a lot of doubts of their own. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you didn't really need faith to get into the situation, but you really needed faith to get through? It's probably what's going on with these people here. I mean, how much faith does it really take to run away from your enemies? How how much faith does it really take just to walk around a building? Not much faith. Uh, and, and if you're pressed hard enough, you're going to act probably out of fear or, or whatever. You don't really need faith, but, but you really need faith where, to continue that process. It's kind of like that feeling where, have you ever got to, you, you've gone on the ski lift and, and, and you go all the way to the top of a mountain and it's beautiful and you're enjoying it and you get to the top of the mountain and, and your stomach hits, it, it just like hits your toes. It just like goes down and you have this horrible feeling inside. Maybe you're like a daredevil, but I'm not, okay? I'm not a skier. Uh, I have good hand-eye coordination. I can throw a ball far and fast. Um, but I don't have feet-eye coordination. Um, if you put me on rollerblades or a skateboard or skis, um, it's not a good idea. Or even just shoes that are one size too big. I mean, <laughs> I, I, don't, I can't do that. And so for skiing, for me, it's, it's really scary, and my wife knows that, and... Um, and you get to the top of the mountain and there's that sinking feeling. Why? Because you know there's only one way down. And the only way down is down the hill, either on your skis or on your butt. But either way, it's not going to be enjoyable. And it really didn't take a lot of faith to get up to the mountain, but it's going to take a lot of faith to actually complete that journey. Maybe something was going on with these people here. Um, we took a trip up to Park City, Utah. Park City's Utah a few years back and got all the gear and haven't used it since, but... You know, bought the, the earmuffs and the, and it, I don't know, everything you need for skiing. Uh, it's still in a box somewhere in my closet. And there was that instance where I got up top and, and I couldn't, the, the hill just rolls off, right? The mountain just rolls off in front of you. And you can't see the bottom. And you don't know if it's, if you, um, I don't know, going to write a letter home to your mom or something like that to come pick you up. What about swimming in the ocean? If you've ever been in the ocean, maybe you love the ocean, you love to swim. 
there's that time where the ocean starts to pull you out and you're enjoying that. It doesn't take a whole lot of faith to get into the ocean and start swimming, and then you look behind you and the shore is a lot further away than you thought it was. There's a sinking feeling that goes on there. And I just want you to sit in that. What does that feel like? A lot of anxiety, fear, confusion, doubt. You know, can I swim? Do I have enough energy? I mean, just to get out there, you're exhausted already. And so you're thinking, do I have enough strength to get back? And you're maybe all alone, so you're thinking, if something does go horribly wrong, is anybody going to know that I'm missing? And if they find out I'm missing, are they going to get to me in time? So there's a lot of fears and anxieties and a lot of what-ifs, some doubts. Consider our passage. Take, for instance, the Red Sea. These people, God's people, have escaped from slavery. They've escaped from Egypt. And now they're running from Pharaoh's army. And they get far away from Pharaoh. And God directs them into this situation where he corners them purposely. And he gets them to this, the mouth of the Red Sea. And on both sides, on, on two sides of them is, is, is the sea. Impassable. And in the other side of them is a, is a mountain cliff. And behind them is an enemy pursuing them. Literally nowhere to go. And they're thinking to themselves, there is absolutely nowhere to go. It did not take them faith to get to that situation. They were running from enemies. They were obeying Moses. They were doing what they were told. And now they are feeling that fear, feeling that gut feeling where now we're dead. There's nothing we can do. And God says, I will part the Red Sea and you will walk through it. Look at Jericho. Forty years later from this story, forty years later from the Red Sea, these same people are wandering and they're so close to getting the promised land. And between them and their reward, their promise that God has promised to them is a city, a strong city. Some say that it is the oldest city, um, oldest, oldest city ever, right there in Jericho. And there's one problem. It has walls and they can't get through it. And God says, I want you to walk around it for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. And at the last time, I want you to take your trumpets and I want you to blow those trumpets really loud and I want you to yell really loud. And the city is going to be completely demolished and you're going to be able to take it over. How much faith does it really take to run from your enemies? How much faith does it take to circle a city? And I can't imagine the kind of doubts that they may have had in that time. You're thinking, what if the water caves in on me? What if I'm walking through and I step out and I get halfway and I look back and, and I can't turn back and I've got to go forward? What if these waters, I mean, picture this. You're walking on dry land and, and there's an ocean wall on either side of you. Aren't you thinking, what if they just collapse? What if God forgets about me? What if, what if I have a, a fear that God says, well, that's it, I'm going to punish you? What if someone in front of me trips and, and I'm left behind and everybody else goes ahead of me, but I get swallowed up? Is God going to still remember me? What about the people circling the city? I mean, you've got to imagine that midway through, half, halfway through day four, they're thinking, are we still doing this? We're just walking around the city? Is God knows that we're doing this, right? Hey, who told us to walk around this city? I mean, you've got to imagine that there's some confusion, some doubt, some fear into what's going on. Well, and it's in these moments that our faith is really put to the test. And it's in these long, enduring journeys where God teaches us most about who he is, what he's like, his nature, and how we can trust in him. I've been a Christian for 12 years. Not a long time for some of you. Some of you are thinking, I've got shoes older than you. For some, that may be longer than you've been a Christian. So you're thinking, well, 12 years is a long time. I wonder what I'm going to be like in 12 years. And so, but this is what it's been like for me. It's been a journey of 
of at the very beginning where things were so wonderful, things were so clear, and then the journey endures and some things become more clouded, some things become more doubtful. There are some fears and anxieties that I've acquired along the way. And there are questions that kind of keep reoccurring, like, God, do you still love me as much as, you, as I felt you did 12 years ago when I gave my whole life to you, when I trusted in you with everything? And I feel like I learned that lesson a lot. You know, I ask that question a lot. Do you love me? Are you going to forget about me? Are you going to give up on me? And I had to endure in, in those 12 years a long period of time where there was confusion, where there was doubt, where there was frustration, waiting on God and not really sure what he's going to do. How long is it? What if, okay, he loves me, but what if I just, what if I keep messing up? How long is it going to take where he just gets tired of, of my uh, shenanigans? Sorry to use that word. Oh, I hope to never use it again. What, what, what is he going to do? Is he going to forget about me? And so I've had some doubts of God put to rest over the years and, and some important questions really answered. And I hope as we look at some doubts that maybe these people were also facing as they're in this long journey of pursuing God and pursuing what, what he has called them to be and to do, um, you may have some of those same doubts and answers question, uh, answered for yourself tonight. And so um, here are some questions that I have wrestled with. And let's look at them. There's going to be three. The first is, is God able? This is maybe a doubt that these people have. Is God able to do what he said he's going to do? Is he able... To, to do the impossible. That's really what we're asking. Um, no doubt the challenges in front of God's people were enormous. Looking at these wa- this wall of water, looking at the sea, looking at the enemies behind them, looking at this fortified city that is impassable, and the impossibility of continuing their journey, they started was so obvious. It became so improbable and, and impossible. And they lashed out at Moses. So God's people, they get to that corner of the Red Sea and the mountain, and they, and they yell at Moses. And you know what they say? They say, were there not any graves in Egypt for us? And that's why you've brought us out here. I mean, plainly what they're saying is, Our, you've led us to die. You've rescued us from Egypt so that you could bury us here by the ocean to have a view or something. Why have you done that? And so they were so desperate, so discouraged, so confused and doubtful of what God could do that they threw up their hands and said, it's all over, surely we're going to die. They were asking themselves, is God really able to do this? And they concluded, no, no one is able to do this. We are at a dead end. Literally, we're at a dead end. Have you ever heard of of the Red Sea opening up and people walking through it on dry land? No, who's ever heard of that? Have you ever heard of a city being destroyed because you've walked around it for seven days and yelling at it really loud? Who's heard of that kind of thing? Nobody. That stuff doesn't happen. And if this story answers anything for us, it's this. God can do absolutely whatever he wants. Whatever he wants to do, he can do. There is absolutely nothing that gets in the way of God. And it's not in an arrogant way. It's not in a a young, arrogant, naive kind of way that God says, I do what I want. But it's a way of, it's a powerful confidence, real way that God's nature, his ability is, he can do absolutely anything And I think we forget that a lot. This is how we're different from God, isn't it? So there are some attributes of God's nature and his character that are communicated to us, that are communicable. We'll call those communicable attributes of God. So like wisdom, okay? So 
God is wise, and he can give to us this wisdom where we can look at situations and figure out what is wise, what is right, what is, what is prudent, and we can walk in that way. And that's the way God is making us in his image, and we are like God in that way. Same with love. We have the ability to love one another and to love God because God is love, and he loves us, and he made us in his image. We can express kindness and generosity and mercy to people because God is all of those things. And here is one thing that we are not like God. We can't do anything we want. And so a lot of times when we face doubts and troubles in our life, we approach it with our own wisdom. And we say, okay, what could God do? And then we ask ourselves, maybe not, maybe not exactly, but we say, well, what could I do in this situation? What would I do? And then we say, well, what would God do then, given him being like me? So we say, I understand love, and so this is what it may be like to love somebody. And then we say, okay, God might love us like that. And we say, I know what it's like to be kind to someone, so surely this is how God may be kind to me. And I understand strength, and so if God is powerful and, and, and strong, then I can understand that. But it's things that, don't, that he doesn't communicate to us that I think we get in a hard time with, and it's hard to understand. They don't register it with us because we can't imagine how we might do them. We look at things like the Red Sea and say, it can't be done. So we doubt God's ability a lot of times because we, we can't do it. And here's what God shows us in this passage, that he absolutely loves to show off. God loves to show off. He loves to show off his ability. He loves to show off his strength and his wisdom. And he directed his people into this corner. And he could have directed them somewhere else where they could have walked on dry land where they could have passed through a part of the Red Sea that was shallow, where they could have, uh, he could have instructed them to build a boat and float across if he wanted to. But instead he said, I'm going to put you in a dead end and I'm going to show off. I'm going to show you how, how wonderful I am. I'm going to show you how powerful I am. I'm going to show you that I can accomplish the impossible. That there are natural laws that I am not accountable to. That's what he says. And those are just phenomenal things. Those are great things. God is independent of natural means. He, even the laws of nature, he's not tied down to your resources, whether it's, whether it's time or money or wisdom or kindness. He's not tied down to what you own. Nothing is impossible for God. Have you ever trusted in something so big that it would be impossible for you to accomplish it without God's help? Maybe you have. I bet likely most of us haven't where we've actually trusted in things for God to do, trusted in things in our life that if God did not participate in it somehow, we would never accomplish it. Have you ever trusted in something or expected something or wanted something that you could never do on your own? God wants to teach his people that we should expect things like that, that we should seek him in such a way, that we should pursue challenges and struggles in our life when we say, this can't be done medically, physically, emotionally, it can't happen, we should say, God, anything is possible with you. I don't know how you're going to make it happen. None of them would have perceived that God could surely open up these waters. Because it's just so impossible. It's so far-fetched. Jesus impresses this on his disciples when he says, on your own, nothing is possible. On your own, you can't do much. But with me, all things are possible. And he's reiterating to them the nature of God that nothing gets in his way of accomplishing his plans. And there's a sense of freedom to rest in that, to rest in that idea that, that God can do whatever he wants. That in the midst of our troubles, 
when we ask ourselves, what can God do in this situation? And there's a sense of comfort when our answer becomes automatically anything he wants. What would that look like if you confronted your challenges like that and you said, what could God do in this situation? And then just in the peace of your heart, you said to yourself, anything he wants to do. And that's the truth. That's what God is showing us here. And that's what kind of God he is. And that's great. Here's another question that we may struggle with or doubt. Number two is, will God give up on me? Have you ever felt that before? Will he change his mind? And this probably was the fear halfway through the Red Sea. Walking through and they see the, the walls of water, the mountainous walls of water on either side of them. And they say, will God give up? Will they come crashing down? And in the middle of day four, when they're walking around Jericho, what if this doesn't work? Will God give up on me? Does he still know what, he, what he's doing? And faith is often an issue of, of focus. It's often an issue of perspective of what we have in front of us. In Exodus chapter 2, the story reads that when the Israelites came to a dead end and they saw the sea in front of them, concluded that they were as good as dead. And in verse 10 in Exodus 2, it says, They lifted their eyes and saw the Egyptians. And it says they were immediately terrified. And so they're journeying along the way, and they look up and they see their enemy. And it says they are terrified. And Moses says to God, what should I do? And God says to Moses, this is what you should tell the people. He says in verse 13 in Exodus 2, he says, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. He takes their thoughts off of their fears, and he gives them a new vision, a new focus, something new to look at, to keep their eyes fixed on. And he says, keep your eyes fixed on God, on the salvation that he gives you today. And then he goes on to say, he says, you see the Egyptians pursuing you, but in a little while, you will not see them ever again. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's like, now you see me, now you don't. That's what he's telling them. They are coming to you with swords and you have nothing. And, and in a little while, you're not going to have to worry about them at all. And so he's saying, take your focus. I'm, I want to change your focus. This is what it looks like to have faith in God. To take your focus off of what you are incapable of doing on your own. What you're afraid of, what you're terrified by. And turn your focus to the, the God who can do anything. And who will do anything. And you're going to see salvation today. That's what he tells his people. And not only is, will God not give up on you, he's actually going to battle with you. He's going to battle in front of you. He's going to battle on your behalf. And they're looking at this army and saying, we can't, we can't destroy this army. And, and, and Moses is saying, you don't have to, because God will. And this is a discipline for us as well. I'm reading this book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything by a pastor named Tulian Chibigian. He's a pastor in, in Fort Lauderdale. And that's how you pronounce his name. You can Google it. And... Um, and he wrote this book, and it's, it's very encouraging, and I, I commend it to, to any of you who want to pick it up and read. And, and he says this, he says, when we're fixed on ourselves, we, we continually fluctuate between two emotions, pride and depression, essentially. So when we look at ourselves when, when we do well, when we are successful, and we actually do the right thing, we, we get pride. And we say, look at the good that I did, look at the great things that I did and accomplished, and we get prideful. And then, when, likewise, when we fail, we get depressed, so we feel shame and guilt, and we say, look at what I haven't done, and I feel, so, I feel so bad about who I've become, and things like that. But when our focus is on Christ, when our focus is on the God who can do anything, and when we focus on His works, where we have messed up and everything, and He has accomplished everything on our behalf, where Christ, who, was no, who did not know sin, and was sinless in His, 
in his life. He died for our sin and took our sin on him. When we look at that, we say, we can do anything. And then our security, our vulnerability is not in our own things. Our security is in what God has done. And that's what Moses is trying to do, and that's what we should do too. It's a discipline of focusing not on, our ins- not on ourself, but focusing on God who can do whatever he wants and placing our trust in him. We can't fail if that's our perspective. And so our aim is to continue our life with this constant gaze on Jesus, this constant gaze on God who loves us and cares for us and says, when, when you face these troubles that seem impossible, I'm going to battle for you and before you. And there'll be times when we see him doing great things. God's people were moved by faith, and because of that, they were able to complete that journey and not be destroyed, and they saw salvation that day. They were moved by faith. The Egyptian people were moved by anger, by revenge, by hatred, by jealousy. They were moved by those things, and they all died. And so the question is, what moves you? Maybe there's not this specific thing that God is calling you to do right now, other than just keep pursuing Him. So what is moving you as you pursue Him? Is it faith in God? Is it faith in yourself? And I guarantee if it's faith in yourself and you keep looking in, what can I do to accomplish this? What can I do so that God will love me? What can I do to please God? What can I do to make Him happy? You will always, always fall short of that. And every single night you'll go to bed saying, I didn't do it today. I didn't accomplish it today. Why do I keep messing up? And here I would say, it's a problem with your focus. It's a problem with your gaze. You're looking at yourself and the truth is, we're all incapable. We need to look to Christ, who's capable of taking our sin and forgiving us. And Jesus says that we would get to a point of forgiveness that our sins are not counted against us because of the works that he did for us. And we look at that and we say, finally, I have some hope. Finally, I have some encouragement. Finally, I have some salvation. And lastly, you might find yourself saying, is it worth it? I've asked that a lot. Maybe you've asked that. Is it worth it? Is it worth all this struggle? I mean, what's, what's, what's at, the end of the, at the end of the race? God may lead you into, into enormous struggles. And at one time in your walk with God, you may have thought it'd be very easy to surrender everything you had. Maybe you've had that experience in your life where you've given up everything and you thought, wow, I feel like I've sacrificed a lot, but it was actually quite easy because I wanted to do it so badly. And then through that journey, you've come to a place in your life where it's actually not as easy as it used to be. And it's very hard. And you may be thinking to yourself, is it worth it now? I used to feel like it's worth it. Is it, is it worth it now? Now there's a Red Sea in front of me. Now there's a city in front of me, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to pass it. I don't know how to go through. I don't know how to keep growing. And it's a lot of work. One of my favorite things, if you've been here a while, you may know me, and that's Costco. And you may have felt like, here's the analogy that makes sense to me, is that at this start, this, this Christian journey is something like Costco. You walk inside, and they give you free food and, they, and unconditional love. <laughs> they have signs when you walk in saying, we want to make you happy no matter what. 100% guaranteed. I mean, Costco is the epitome of unconditional love, is it not? <laughs> Sorry, going a little too far. 
And you go in, and, you're, and especially when you're hungry, you're thinking, I love spending money. I know it's a sacrifice. I love spending time. I love going through all these aisles. What can I get today? And you give energy and time and money to enjoy all that is had there in Costco. And the atmosphere is wonderful, and people are kind to you. And you're thinking, I can do this. This is what I love about buying things. This is what I love about this experience. And throughout your life, and then you show up at Walmart one day, and you think to yourself, this is hard work. Um, You walk in through the doors and automatically you have strep throat for some reason. And some kid is like kicking you in the shin and you're thinking, I hate shopping. I hate buying things. What has my life become? And that, my friends, is a Christian analogy. (laughs) That's pretty bad. Aren't there times in our life when it is easy to sacrifice and then through trials... And temptation, it becomes a lot harder, and we think to ourselves, is it really worth it to go through this process to get what we thought we really wanted to get? And there were times with God's people in their journey, God said, I promise you these things, and, and they came to a place and they said, I don't believe it's worth it anymore to keep going through these challenges and these struggles and all these hard times and starving and not, having, not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. And they're just saying, God, I'm exhausted, and, and it's not worth it for me anymore. And they even said, we would rather be slaves. We would rather go back to Egypt and, and be slaves to people that, want, that hate us than to be free, but to go through these trials. And the Christian journey is a lot like that. And you may be feeling that's the way it is right now. And you may be asking yourself, is it really worth it to lose so much and to have so much confusion in the process? There will certainly come times when you say, well, Why am I doing this? And then you think, well, I'm doing it because of heaven. And you're like, oh yeah, heaven, that's why I do it. I do it because something I'm going to get in a long long way from here. And you know what? The promised land for God's people wasn't the ultimate treasure. And I think at times it may seem like that, that the ultimate treasure is just eternity with God and heaven. And that's not the ultimate treasure. The The promised land was not God's greatest gift to them. So the question is, what was the greatest reward? What was making it all worth it? What was the greatest reward for us, for you, or for me? And this is what God wants for us. He wants us to be utterly in love with him and all that he is for us today and tomorrow and far beyond the grave. And that kind of relationship and that kind of love that he wants us to experience is the greatest treasure of all. That it's not just about what happens to us when we die. It's about having the fullest of what could be had today and tomorrow and beyond the grave. To know him at our deepest core and to love him better than life itself. And this is what God want, wants for us and what he wanted for his people And that is why he brought these circumstances into their life. So that by encountering them, and by God showing that nothing gets in his way, they would come out on the other side of that, loving God more, and enjoying him more, and understanding what it's like to be loved by God and to be his people at their core. Every single time they came out of these enormous trials... You know what they did? We'll see this time again in the Old Testament. They, they got done with the trial and they began to worship God. 
And at face value, it may seem like they got, they got to a place of worship out of relief, right? Do you know what that looks like? Like you escape a burning building and you start to worship God. And really what you're saying is, oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad I didn't die. Oh, my gosh, that was so scary. And so was it like them for they worship God after all these trials? And I don't think it was like that at all. I think they got to a place of worship because they saw something new about who God was and about what he was like. And through that trial, they saw something beautiful about God. And they worshipped him because at their core, they loved him more that day. And they realized that that was the greatest thing. That was the greatest treasure. That was the greatest promise that God could give to them was himself, was his love. And they worshipped him and enjoyed him in that moment. And he would give them another trial and he would give them another testing. And he would show himself powerful through all of it. And it was for that reason that he brought them out of slavery. Not to get to the promised land. He brought them out of slavery so that they may know him in the deepest possible way. And that's why he confronts us, each and every one of us. Saving us, I mean, the salvation of our souls and the forgiveness of sins, my friends, is a byproduct of a relationship so intimate with Christ. That is, a, that is a, a consequence of knowing God so meaningful, so well. That is a consequence of, of seeing and trusting and hoping in the beauty of God. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life, that's what happens because we know God. He's our goal. God loves us so much that he would hate for us to be in slavery and to bring us through trials. He loves us so much that he would rather us go through trials and still be in relationship with him than to have limited trials, but to be slaves and to be bound. And so he's training us. He's training you and I. When he brings trials into our life, and when he brings us Red Seas and Jerichos and says, it seems impossible, but I'm going to teach you something about who I am through this trial. I'm training your faith to trust in me through this long journey. And training is never fun. And it's profitable for so much. I hate training. I, I, hate, I hate running. I'm, frankly, I hate walking. Standing up is a trial for me. No. <laughs> it's tough work, but the payoff is, is so profitable. And so, here's where we want to close. How can we let God train us in our faith? And the first thing, I'm just going to give real quickly three things here. The first is stand still. Now, what does it mean, stand still? Because this is the message that God gave to Moses. He said, so the people were freaking out. And he says, tell them to stand still. And then what's the next thing that happened? They started walking through the Red Sea. So it's kind of confusing, isn't it? I thought God told them to stand still, and now they're walking. And isn't that being disobedient? Because he told them to stand still. You know, he didn't say stand still with your person, stand still with your your body. He was talking about something else. Because what were the people doing? They saw a challenge in front of them, and they got frantic. And they were asking questions, and they were talking, and they were... And they were griping. And they were saying, why did you bring us here? And everybody, uh, imagine a million people in this scene of just people buzzing around, bumping into each other, and just going crazy, and getting anxious, and getting afraid, and everybody asking questions, saying, what's Moses doing? Why did he lead us here? Is he trying to kill us? And God says, tell your people to shut up. Tell your people to calm down and to be still in their heart. And then they proceed forward. So he's not saying, just stand still, don't do anything in your life. He's saying, Be content in your heart and rest in Christ. Rest in what God can do because he's going to do something magnificent. 
You know what God told the people that were going to circle the city of Jericho to do in those seven days? He commanded the people to not speak. And he said, on the seventh day, circle the city seven times, and at the end of that seventh time, everybody yell. And, and I command you as a people, on that entire week, do not speak a word. So they were walking around the city for seven days, silent. Why? He was saying to them, be still. He was saying to them, I'm about to do something, and you are doubting and you are freaking out. Let your hearts be content. Let your hearts be restful in me. And I'll encourage you to do that as well. When your life seems to buzz around and be frantic, and you look at your life, and I know what that feels like, where you just start getting really scared, and you start asking questions. What if, what if, what if? What is God going to do? How is it possible? There's no way he could do that. And you start thinking all through these different scenarios that are just freaking you out and you don't sleep. And God says to you, be still. Rest in me because I can do anything. So don't worry yourself about everything that you can't do. Have a confidence in everything that I can do and rest in me and, then, and watch me do amazing things. Second, go forward in obedience. Okay, now I'm being a hypocrite, right? Be still, now go forward. But it's not a be still in physical sense. It's a be still in your heart. But then go forward in obedience to what God's called us to do. In your, in your doubt, in your frustration, in your fear, God is still calling you forward in relationship with Him. And so don't sit still in your life and say, okay, I'm just not going to act. But pursue God. Seek Him. Being still in your heart as you go forward. How much trouble would we avoid if we, just, if we did that? If we were still in our heart and then actually pursued God? when trials came our way. But instead, we seem to get really anxious and we start to say, okay, I'm not going to do anything until God does something. But we should keep going forward in obedience. And lastly, expect God to act. We cannot have the hope of Israel's conviction and the hope of Israel's victories until we emulate Israel's example. And that is to expect God to act. If we want to have victory over our trials, we have to expect and look for and hope that God can do anything. And I want to encourage you to do that. Are there some things in your life that are really hard right now and you don't know what God can do or even wants to do? And I know how that feels, and I would just say to you, I don't know what he wants to do either, but I would, I would say expect him to do something and expect that he can do anything he wants. And expect it not just to happen, but expect something to happen that, that really ministers to your heart, whether it's through somebody that comes along to encourage you, whether it's through a circumstance working itself out, whether it's through a blessing of some kind, whether it's through a taking, taking away of something. And sometimes he does that. Sometimes he doesn't give us what we, we ask for, but he takes, takes more of it away. But then we look back and say, I'm really glad that that happened. Faith is a discipline. It must be discipline. See, the walls came down, but they didn't come down the first day, did they? It came down the seventh day, a full week, walking around a building. Thinking, what on earth are we doing? Everybody's going to laugh at us <laughs> if we tell them this is what God told us to do. The sea opened up, but it didn't open up right away. It opened up after they were cornered and had no hope. And God's provision for us doesn't always come in the time that we want it to come or in the way that we want it to come in. But His provision comes. 
And so we rest in Him and we, we expect Him to act. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.